Father, we are so grateful for the truth found in that song. Before we are sent to the outsider, to the least of these, God, what a reminder that we are that. That you were sent to us for that very purpose. Thank you for ministering to us as we sought to somehow try to minister to you through our praise. Lord, we're thankful for your word. And as we turn to a time where we open it up, pray that it would accomplish its purpose, that it would be fruitful, effective, powerful. Thank you that your word says you in your divine power have granted to us all things that pertain to this life. Not just the life of faith where we put our faith in you for salvation, but, but every moment from that point forward. Not just eternal life, but life here and now, Lord, we want to live a life that is abundant. That's what you came to promise. And you have given us all things that pertain to that life. So I pray that we would grow in our understanding and our awareness of the things that you have given us so that we can grow in the faith that you've called us to. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning. Hey, go ahead. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 14. That's where we're going to be this morning, Acts chapter 14. Um, I have a, a small confession to make, okay? This, this is not a serious confession, so, um, but it may alter the way you view me. And if that's the case, that's on you. That's not on me. So in 2020, right, the world kind of slowed down. It gave people an opportunity to do some things. Maybe they had been putting off for a long time, and, and that was true for Annie and I as well. We did something during 2020 that we had never done before. We watched a movie series called Star Wars. Okay, had never done it before. Uh, two years ago, watched them all the way through. Bang, 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 just got it done with. Here's the confession part, and it may alter the way you view me. And again, that's on you, it's not on me. I don't know if I care to see them again. <laughs> Half of you agree with me. Half of you now hate me. That is on you. Okay. But let me say this, um, in episode five, for those that are Star Wars fans, remind me, that's the Empire Strikes Back, right? Okay, thank you, whoever that was. <laughs> there was a scene in that movie that was deeply moving for me, okay? And I actually think about it pretty regularly. Okay, so let me just set the scene for you. Young Luke Skywalker has officially joined the Rebel Alliance, right? Like he's, he's fighting against the evil empire. He's, he's wanting to overcome the dark side led, led by Lord Vader. But in that movie, I mean, they're just, the rebellion is just getting trounced, like, over and over and over again. They cannot resist the power of the dark side. So there's an awareness. They need something more. Like, they need something more to be able to actually resist this influx of the dark side. So Luke Skywalker has this vision of his mentor who tells him to go to some land called Dag Dagobah. Thank you. Okay. And, and where he's going to meet this Jedi master. I'm, what I'm doing is I'm learning who you are as you learn who I am. Okay. So he meets this Jedi master named Yoda, right? And Yoda's going to train him to use what? The force, right? The force. He has to learn how to, to, to become aware of and harness the power of the force. So in this training, this is what happens. And no, I am not going to mimic the voice of Yoda, okay? But this is what happens. Okay, Yoda jumps on Luke's back. They're running through the jungle, you know, and Luke's like, jumping on vines, he's pulling himself up, he's doing these flips, he's in, in this hardcore training, and Yoda's telling him things like, run, yes, a Jedi strength flows from the force. Luke then questions, is the dark side stronger, right? Legitimate question, 
given all that Luke had experienced up to this point, he, he really asked Yoda, is the dark side stronger? And I love what Yoda says. He says, no, it's quicker. It's easier. It's more seductive. But no, it's, it's not stronger. Luke says, then how will I know the good from the bad? Yoda says, you'll know when you're calm, when you're at peace. Then he says this, a Jedi uses the force for knowledge and for defense. It's the force. So what, what Yoda teaches young Luke Skywalker is how to be in touch with and harness the power of the force. And in those movies, once he learns that, right, the battle really begins to shift. Like everything kind of begins to change. All right, so, so why do I bring that up as we go into Acts 14? It's because I think a lot of us are in the exact same position as young Luke Skywalker. All right, so hang in there with me. You've joined the proverbial rebel alliance, right? You've put your faith in the gospel of grace, which we preached on last week, and you would go, yeah, I'm in. I'm a Christian. I'm in that kingdom. And what you want to do, you want to resist the dark side. You want to avoid the, the evil empire. But if you were honest with yourself, you'd go, I just feel like we're getting trounced, right? Just over and over and over. It just feels like the dark side is stronger, whether it's the temptation to sin, the mistreatment you experience in the world. Maybe it's just the, the various trials and tribulations you face in life. If you were honest, you'd say, man, I put my faith here. It just just feels powerless. Just feels like we're being overcome. You're wondering, is the dark side actually stronger? All right, if that's you this morning, Acts 14 is good news. It, it's good news because Paul and Barnabas, and I'm going to talk a lot about this, they're on their first missionary journey. They've traveled through these various cities, and we're going to retrace their steps. And what they've done is they've planted churches. They've made disciples. They've preached the gospel of grace. People have put their faith in that, and these churches have been planted. They've joined the rebel alliance, okay? Stay with, stay with me in that metaphor. But in Acts 14, what their masters, their trainers, their teachers sh share with them is, is you need training. You need some establishing. You need some strengthening as you grow in this faith. So in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, they, they jump on the backs of the disciples, so to speak, and, and they encourage them. They tell them, hey, listen, a disciple's strength flows from the force. A, a disciple knows how to use the force for defense. So before I define for us what the biblical equivalent of, you know, Star Wars the Force is and how we can harness it, I, I want us to read our text. So we're going to read it in its entirety. Again, it's an entire chapter, Acts chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, please follow along with me, beginning in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe and cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had the faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice saying in Lyconian, so saying in their village tongue, not Greek, the gods have come down to us in likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. 
But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, learned of it or heard of it, they finally understood what's happening. They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. So you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving giving you rains from heavens and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. But even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Verse 19. But the Jews came all the way from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to the city of Derbia. When they had preached the gospel to that city, they had made many disciples. And they returned to Lystra, then to Iconium, then to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in which they had believed. Verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work to which they had fulfilled. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, how it opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. All right, the disciples' strength flows from the four. Before we begin to really break that down, um, what I want us to do is I want us to retrace what's happening here. Okay, this is, this is Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. Actually, what's happening in Acts 14 is kind of part two of what happened in Acts 13, okay? So let me retrace. If you weren't here last week, let me show you where we've been. We're going to throw a map up on the screen and see if you can follow along. All right, they began in Antioch of Syria, okay? So that's the far left side of that screen. They went down to Seleucia to sail to Salamis, which is on the island of Cyprus. Y'all following me? When they get to Cyprus, they traverse all the way across the island by foot till they arrive in Paphos. If you remember from Acts chapter 13 in Paphos, that's where they led the governor of Cyprus to the Lord. That's also where they withstood this false prophet, this magician by the name of Bar-Jesus. Okay? From Paphos, they sail all the way up to um, Perga. Okay, in Perga, when they get there, which is modern-day Turkey, John Mark, uh, you know, abandons them. He, he gets out of there. When they get to Perga, they travel on foot, cross the Taurus Mountains, all the way to Antioch in Pisidia. Okay, you following me? We're at, we're at traverse number four, okay? All the way up to Antioch. And Antioch is where we spent most of our time last week, right? That's where Paul really began to share what the gospel is, that in Christ's condemnation, we find our justification. But then we see in Antioch and Pisidia that many rejected that good news, but, but also many believed. So if you look at Acts chapter 13, verse 52, we're left at the, en- at the end of chapter 13 where the disciples in Antioch and Pisidia were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 14, it opens up with them moving from Antioch, this is number five, to Iconium. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. And in Iconium, they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And they created a plot to, to kill them. So they learned of the plot and they escaped. They moved from Iconium down to Lystra. Okay, that's number 6. Lystra is where that amazing miracle of healing happened. 
as Paul's preaching, this, this man, he can see the grace of God stirring faith in this man, sees it as a faith to be made well, and he heals him. Y'all, that, that's not some magic, okay? Let me let you in on a little secret. Sometimes when I'm preaching, not all the time, sometimes when I'm preaching, I can look out and see the grace of God moving on somebody's life. All of you just diverted your eyes from me, okay? <laughs> Don't take it that way, okay? That's, that's not why I shared that. It's just nothing magical here. God, Paul could see the work of grace in this man's eyes, and that happened in Lystra. And the villagers there, they didn't speak Greek. What did they do? They began to worship him, offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. They were flooding them with the praise of man. But then in verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Pisidia traveled down to Iconium, then all the way to Lystra to follow them, to turn the crowds away from Paul and Barnabas to the point where they stoned him. They stoned him in Lystra, drove him out of the city, left him for dead. But he pops up like Daisy, that's from Mulan for all of you parents. Pops up, goes from Lystra down to Derby, where he continues to share the gospel and make disciples. Okay? So we conclude there in Derby. But here's what I want us to see today. In Acts 14, go back to verse 21. Okay? They're in Derby, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel in that city, they had made many disciples. And then what did they do? They returned to Lystra, then to Iconium, then to Antioch and Pisidia, doing what? strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What they did was they retraced their steps. They started going back through all of those cities. So just follow it all the way back through those cities to the point where they end up sailing all the way back to Antioch and Syria. Their first missionary journey is over. It's completed. It's fulfilled. And the reason they went back through all those cities is to encourage and to strengthen the souls of those disciples because they knew they needed it, right? The reason they knew they needed it was because Paul and Barnabas had just experienced unbelievable trials and tribulations and began to tell the church, this is your future too. You're going to go through trials and tribulations before you come into the kingdom of God. So what do you need? You need to be strengthened. You need to harness some power to be able to resist the stuff that's going to be coming against you. I mean, just look at what, what Paul walks through. He, he was withstood by Bar-Jesus in Acts chapter 13. He was abandoned by John Mark. He was persecuted in Antioch. He had to deal with this poisoning of the minds against the disciples he's trying to make. Um, he was mistreated. He was stoned and left for dead. And y'all just passed over something in Acts 14 that, that we need to talk about. There's a real seductive side of the dark side here in Acts 14. It's the praise of man. Right? They perform this miracle, and all of a sudden, these villagers start to praise them. Y'all, the praise of man is so seductive because the praise of man is so fickle. Like, it reminds me of Jesus. Like, a couple days before Jesus dies, he's coming into Jerusalem, and they're laying palm branches down for him, screaming, Hosanna in the highest. Just a few days later, those same people are screaming, crucify him. Right? Paul and Barnabas, these, the same people are worshiping them, trying to offer sacrifices just a few verses later, it was the same people that were persuaded to stone him. The praise of man is so seductive. It's part of the dark side. It tries to pull you off the path. So Paul knew these churches need strengthening. So what is the fourth thing? It's grace. Churches, it's grace. At the end of Acts 14, they were able to say they had fulfilled the work that God had given them fully fulfilled it and that work is twofold it's two parts it's like what we saw last week it's preaching the gospel of grace that saves sinners 
right? That Jesus, though guiltless, was condemned for you so that you, though guilty, are forgiven in him. That's the gospel of grace. That is part of the work. But the work was also to teach the grace that strengthens saints. Church, grace does both. Paul and Barnabas did both. They, they preached the gospel of grace that saves sinners, and they taught the grace that strengthens saints. That's the full work to which they were commissioned. And just a newsflash, y'all, that's, that's the full work to which we are commissioned. As we walk through the book of Acts, and we talk about we have to be witnesses, what that means is that we're not just witnesses to grace that saves. We, we as the church, collectively have focused on that way too much. right? We, we get people in the door. We get people to accept Christ or to invite them into their heart, and then we're like, well, what do we do now? But if you remember Jesus' commission in Matthew, we were to go and make what? Disciples, right? Not converts only, not acceptors only, but disciples. You make disciples by preaching the gospel of grace that saves, gets you in the rebel alliance, but also teaching the grace that strengthens, that trains you, that harnesses the force that can resist the, the dark side. It's both. Disciples, church, are followers of Jesus, not just acceptors. Disciples don't just accept grace that saves. They grow in the grace that strengthens. So that's the grace. Grace is the force. As a Jedi strength comes from the force, what I want you to know this morning is that your strength as a disciple in Christ flows from grace. It flows from grace. And church, it's needed. Why is it needed? Because through this life, you're going to face trials of various kinds before you inevitably come into the kingdom of God. We know that Paul and Barnabas went through some trials, but, but church, the churches here, they went through some trials too. These disciples, they went through it. And, and let, me, let me show you how. Can you pull up that map? Oh, it's up. Okay. Look at where all those churches are planted. What, what region is that in? Galatia. Okay. All of those churches are planted in the region of Galatia. Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey was in 48 A.D. They established these churches in 48 A.D. Now, it's argued, but I really do believe that Galatians is Paul's first epistle. I believe it's the first one that he wrote, and many date it as early as 49 A.D. So what that means is that Paul wrote the book of Galatians, which is in your Bible, about a year removed from when these churches were planted. And that letter is full of Paul and Barnabas trying to train them in grace, to say, be strong in grace, stand firm in grace, because so much was coming against these churches. If you want to turn there, just, just go ahead and turn to Galatians. Let me remind you of what these churches were going through. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes this. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you, in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. He's saying, church, it was, it was the grace of Christ that saved you. Don't turn from that. Stand in that grace. It's grace that makes us strong. He exhorts them in Galatians 2, verse 18. He says, listen, you have been justified by grace. You have been justified by the gospel of grace that saves sinners. Don't try to rebuild what was torn down by grace. In, in essence, what the church was doing was they were buying into these lies that they needed the gospel of works. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium had come to the churches in Galatia and began to tell them, no, 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 you've got to start obeying the law. 
you actually need to be circumcised. If you want to be a true convert, you've got to obey these things. You've got to start doing, doing, doing. And Paul's saying, no, 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 grace tore all that down. Don't start to rebuild what grace had tore down. Look at Galatians 4, verse 11. Y'all, Paul is deeply troubled by the churches. He says, I'm so afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Galatians chapter 6, verse 18, he concludes his letters to the Galatians saying, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. All of Galatians was Paul strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, reminding them that through various trials and tribulations will they enter into the kingdom of God. And the way that he did that was by reminding them of grace. That grace is the force. The churches in Galatia needed strengthening. And the church's strength flows from the force, and that force is, is grace. So what is grace then? Because unfortunately, I, I think we've, we've largely missed the mark here. Right? When I say what is grace, what's the definition that, that pops into your mind? I, all I heard was mumbles. <laughs> okay. Un, un, unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. Unearned favor. Right? And y'all... Don't get me wrong, that is a really, really good definition. It's just that we tend to apply that definition to salvation, right? We say that eternal life or salvation is unearned. You can't earn that. That's a gift of God by His grace. I agree with you, okay? That's what I preached all last week. Let me remind you, Romans 3, verse 24. Paul writes, we are justified by His grace as a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul reminds that church in Ephesus, it's by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. So it is unmerited favor. It is unearned favor. Like we cannot earn our salvation. That you and I are saved is a gift of God's grace. So the churches in Galatia have been established by the gospel of grace. But here's, here's where we have to expand our definition. We, we, we expand our definition because the Bible expands our definition. If you took a concordance and you looked up the word grace in the New Testament, you would find it used 124 times. All right, the word grace is used 124 times. Just for the record, this is a fun fact, 86 of those are from the Apostle Paul, which is why we refer to him as the Apostle of Grace. He taught that over and over and over again. But if you took 124 usages of the word grace, many of them, church, don't reference salvation at all. In context, they're not about salvation. Let, let me give you six, okay? You may want to write down these references because I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may then abound in every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Romans 16, verse 25. Paul writes now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel of grace. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Peter writes, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verses 1 through 2. This is Paul again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Hebrews 4.16, last one. Let us then with confidence 
draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help you in time of need. Did you hear all those usages of grace? That grace would abound to you so that you could abound in every good work, that you would be strengthened in grace, that you would grow in grace, that you would stand in grace, that we would actually find grace in practical times of need. Taking these references and many, many, many more, we have to expand our definition of grace. So what is it? Grace is unmerited favor. It, it is the heart of God. He sits on a throne of grace. His, his heart is grace, which means that his actions towards you and towards I are way more than you or I deserve. That is who he is, okay? It's an inclination of the character of God. But church, it is also a force, a power source that works within us to change our capacities for work, your capacity for suffering, your capacity for obedience. Simply put, it changes how you follow Christ. Grace is the force, and a disciple's strength flows from grace. It's grace that saves sinners, yeah, but it's also grace that strengthens saints. And church, we need both. We need both of those aspects of grace. The churches in Galatia, they needed planting. That's salvation by grace. They also needed rootedness and, and watering. That's strengthening by grace. Followers of Jesus, they need converting. That's salvation by grace. They also need confirming, which is str a, a, a strengthening by grace. Paul and Barnabas' calling was to awaken sinners. That's salvation by grace. But it was also to retrace their steps all throughout these cities and to strengthen them. That's strengthening by grace. Grace is the force. It's used for strengthening and encouraging disciples. Okay? All right, so let's, let's go back to our, our Star Wars stuff because y'all love that. Okay? You're in. You, you've put your faith. You've, you've joined the Rebel Alliance. And you're even aware, we're getting trounced. We need some help, right? I need some training. I need to figure out how is it that grace can actually strengthen me? Do, does our training look like Luke Skywalker, you know, doing handstands and lifting things with their mind? Unfortunately, no. Okay, that would be pretty cool. So how then? How do we harness the power of grace and train in the force of grace? Point number one. This is going to be a little controversial, but hang in there with me and I'll explain. Harnessing the force of grace requires effort. That's point number one. It requires effort. And you're thinking, I thought grace was a gift. Like how could, how could it require effort if, if grace is a gift? Well, listen to what Dallas Willard, who's much smarter and much more mature in his faith, writes specifically in answer to that question. In his book, The Great Omission, I highly recommend it. It's about spiritual disciplines. He writes this. The path to spiritual growth in the grace of Christ is not apathic. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You hear that? Effort is action. Earning is an attitude. The truth is you have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but grace of God within me. Growing in grace, church, it requires effort. This is not passive. This is something you have to get involved with, and it becomes active. But, but Willard kind of goes on and, and says this, but it's well-directed and sustained effort that proves to be the key to this plan. 
right? It's, it's well-directed. It's making sure that we direct our effort to the right things that brings the power of the force into our life. But I think it's just this lack of effort that really has, I don't know, plateaued our growth in Christ collectively. Like, we've been taught maybe that, that you just accept Christ, become a believer, and then that kind of becomes it, right? Maybe, maybe you go, well, at least I go to church. We, we kind of make our effort in, in coming to church. And listen, don't let me shorten that. that. That requires effort, okay? I know that it requires effort to get up and to be at church. But what happens is we go, well, I did my work. My hands are clean. I showed up at church. I consumed the religious service for the day. That is not well-directed effort. Harnessing the force is going to require effort, but it's going to be well-directed effort. So what are those? Point number two, it's it's. It's means of grace. So what do I mean by that? Church, God is not playing hide and seek with you. We think that he is, but, but he's not. He wants you to be sure. He wants you to draw near with full assurance, with confidence, to a throne of grace, so that you can actually find the grace that you need to live the life in Christ. But he does not give his grace in ways or means that you devise in your own wisdom or your own desire. We don't get to dictate how his grace is given to us. He does. He has actually created in his wisdom, in his love for us, means or ways. If we direct our effort towards them, grace begins to flow into our lives. Now, God is not limited by any specific means of grace, but the ones that I'm about to share, they're time-tested, they're biblical, and if we can collectively just put directed effort towards them, you're going to grow strong in grace. You're going to be established in the faith. You're going to continue in the faith, even though you're walking through trials and tribulations. All right, so what are they? Simply put, y'all, they're just the spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith. They're they're spiritual disciplines that require effort, right? And there are a plethora of personal disciplines that that I would encourage you to start directing some effort to. Things like prayer, study, meditation, fasting. Silence and solitude, sacrificial giving, journaling, confession of sins. I mean, there, there are a plethora of biblical, personal, individualized, spiritual disciplines that if you put effort towards those things, not earning, effort, right? We have to go back to that. Not earning. We're not going, well, God, I read, give me my due, right? That's earning. It's going, no, God, I'm going to take what you said is good for me, and I'm going to put effort in that direction. Effort, not earning. If you put effort into those spiritual disciplines, you'll grow in grace. But for our sake today, I actually want to give you three corporate means of grace, right? Not, not individual, but actually things that we do together as the church. And the reason I'm going to do that is because it's what Paul and Barnabas did in Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas gathered the churches together to strengthen the souls of the saints. He established elders for them in that church with prayer and fasting. He committed these churches unto the Lord. And God has given us three specific, only, only three today that I'm giving you, means of grace that we can partake of corporately. The churches established in Galatia, they were new church plants. Is that familiar to anybody here? Y'all, we opened in August. We're in this boat. We are a new church plant. We need the strengthening of grace. So far be it from us as a new church to try to devise our own means of attaining God's grace. I'd prefer us to put our directed effort collectively towards his means. So so what are they? I'm just going to fly through these. 
First is the word. It's the word of God. One of the primary ways that the souls of saints are strengthened in grace is through the reading and the preaching of the word of God. The early church in Acts chapter 2 regularly devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. We grow in our faith as we hear the word of God. 1 Corinthians 1 says the foolishness of preaching is an ordained means of grace that demonstrates the power of God. So we preach the Bible, not opinions, not new topics, not any new flashy way of doing church. Why? Because we don't want your faith to be an eloquent wisdom. We want it to be in the power of God. The power of God is found in the word of God. It is an ordained means of grace. So every time we gather, just like this, every Sunday that we gather, church, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray the Bible. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to sing the Bible because the word of God is a means of grace that if we direct our efforts toward it, we will grow in grace and be strengthened in our faith. So what does that mean for you? It means to put in effort to be here. Effort, emphasis. Put in the effort to be here. And when you're here, then I encourage you to bring your Bible. Follow along. Take notes. Pay attention to the lyrics that we sing. Meditate on them and harness the force. A disciple's strength flows from grace. And grace flows from the word of God. All right, secondly, the means of grace is prayer. The early church devoted themselves to the prayers. All right, corporate prayer. So, so prayer that Coleman prays after announcements. Prayer that I pray before or after sermon. Y'all, these are not mere production transitions. Okay? When I'm praying for us, it is as an ambassador of Christ on our behalf. And as you are agreeing, we are joining in unity in that prayer, coming before the throne of grace, expecting to receive grace in our times of need. But prayer isn't just like formal, bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray. There's another form of prayer that we do every Sunday. It's called worship. Worship is prayer of praise, okay? Let's just be real practical. Let's take the second song that we read, we sang today. Lord, I need you. The chorus says this, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. You are my one defense. You are my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. When each of us individually sings that collectively with a directed effort towards the truth in that scripture, we're going to be built up in the faith. It is a means of grace. So what does that mean? It means we got to learn to worship. As a church, it means that we need to sing, to pay attention to the lyrics that are sung, that, that when we're praying corporately, that we join in together, that we're paying attention, that we're agreeing, and by so doing, church, we'll harness the force. Disciple strength flows from grace. Grace flows from prayer. All right, let me give you one more. The sacraments, okay? The sacraments. The church holds two Christ-ordained sacraments, baptism and communion. Sacraments are signs. They're seals of grace. They're instituted by God, and they represent Christ and all of his benefits, okay? They're visible reminders of God's grace. So let's, let's take baptism. All right, baptism is rich in symbolism. Not only are you purifying and washing uh, the regeneration of sins off of you, but, but when someone goes under the water, it's, it's a statement. It's a visual sign of saying, I identify with the death of Christ. And that the old way that I used to live, I'm dead to that. And when that person comes up out of the water, it's saying, I identify with the resurrection of Christ. And when I come out of the water, it's going, I'm going to live a new life in the power of Christ, not the old one that I used to. Right? That's a visible demonstration 
of, of God's grace. When we witness that, and when you partake in that, you know, it's, it's powerful. It's, it's a means of grace, and it reminds us that God's power is powerful enough to bring what was dead alive and to bring what was lost found, to bring what was old new. It's, it's the power of God. So I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, take that step of obedience. Be, be baptized. Participate and direct your effort towards that, that um, means of grace. But also, if you have, I think our next baptism service is May 14th. Man, be here. Celebrate in that. Be a part of that. Witness that. Watch that. Engage in that. And be reminded of the power of God. All right, the second is communion. And that's actually how we're going to conclude our time today. Communion is, is the Lord's Supper. Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper um, with a meal as part of uh, with his disciples before he died. You know, Passover was an old covenant that really remembered God's great grace in rescuing his people out of Egypt, right? The meal included a lamb because it was the blood of lamb that was put over the doorpost that allowed death to pass over his people. Likewise, the Lord's Supper celebrates God's grace. It reminds us of God's great, great grace and bringing us out of slavery to sin. It's, it's a meal. It has bread in it, bread that symbolizes the body of Christ, which is condemned for us. It has juice or wine, which is the blood of Christ, which was shed for us. Partaking regularly, regularly in the Lord's Supper, it, it makes grace visible. We actually see that grace. We get to partake in that means of grace. Church of Disciples strength flows from grace. Grace flows from the sacrament. So let me conclude for us. None of what I've shared this morning is earth-shattering, is it? None of it is new. None of it is novel. It's just an encouragement to be strengthened in your faith, to continue in your faith, because you're going to need it. As we walk this walk of faith, you're going to face trials. You're going to face tribulations. We need his grace. But church, good news. He sits on a throne of grace, waiting to dote out more grace as we come to him. And corporately, I've said there are three means of grace God has given us, his word, prayer, and the sacraments. So here's how we're going to conclude our time this morning. We're actually going to practice. We're going to corporately practice directing our effort towards the grace of Christ. We're going we're to partake in the Lord's Supper. We're going to take communion. So if you're serving communion, I want to encourage uh, whoever that is to go ahead and make their ways. Actually, in our worship team, if you want to come back up, go ahead and get situated. But remember, it takes effort. Right? I'm guilty, y'all. I'm guilty of showing up and taking communion and doing it passively. I want us to change that. Let's, let's actually direct our efforts towards communion this morning. And this is how I'm going to encourage you to do it. Our worship team is going to be playing in the background, and I want you to direct your efforts in two ways. Each of you. First and foremost, I want you to direct your effort vertically. Right? I want you to evaluate your relationship with God. Are you in communion with God? Right? Or is there sin in your life that's hindering that communion with God? Where is God in your relationship right now? Is he, is he near? Is he far? Is he distant? What does that look like? Evaluate your relationship vertically. Then I want you to direct your efforts horizontally. Examine your relationship with others. Is there any tension, disunity, or division between you and brothers and sisters in Christ? Are there any offenses against you that you can forgive because love covers a multitude of sins? Right? Are there any offenses that you have created for others where you have sinned against somebody else that you actually need to go and confess to that person? I want you to direct your efforts vertically. I want you to direct your efforts horizontally. 
And if you haven't put your faith in grace, if you, if you don't identify with these elements, you don't identify with the body of Christ, the blood of Christ yet, would you just respectfully let those pass by you? But if you have, take a second as our team plays and evaluate. Direct your efforts vertically, direct them horizontally, and then after I'll come back up and lead us through um, partaking of the meal. time of partaking. First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul did say, after you've examined, then you may partake. And this is what he said in First Corinthians 11 verse 23. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the bread. In the same way, he also took up the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take of the cup. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand up with me, and let me, let me pray for us, and then um, our team will lead us through one more song. Paul concludes about the Lord's Supper. He says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity we just had to preach your gospel, the gospel of grace, that nobody took your life from you, Jesus. You laid it down, that you came for that very purpose, 
to die a death you didn't deserve so that we could live a life that we don't deserve. But Lord, we're aware that this life is riddled with trials, with pains, with tribulations. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us in our faith. May we grow in our understanding and awareness of grace. And may you empower us to direct our efforts, well-directed efforts, towards your means of grace. May we be a people of your word, hungry, studying, leading. And God, when we don't understand, give us grace to persevere, to give sustained effort in this journey. Or maybe we be a people who, who pray, who engage our minds and our hearts, our spirits in prayer, knowing that you love to hear us come to you, that you sit on a throne of grace waiting for us to come and ask for more grace. And Lord, we're coming. We're asking. We need your grace to strengthen us. And may we be a church that, that honors your sacraments, that visibly demonstrates your grace through baptism and through communion. We pray all this in your name. Amen.